0: There it is. Good morning. How are we doing, church? You alive, ready for the Word of God? I got five of you. That's all I need. The rest, were at Kenny Chesney last night, weren't you? Yeah. How many? Be honest. How many? Went to Kenny. I love it. Nice. The rest are watching online. There's like 10 of you here. Very good. Uh, so excited to be with you. My name is Alex Erlenbush. Uh, You're a pastor for Journey's church plant downtown called Revival. Uh, we are so excited to get going this fall, have some exciting news for you. Uh, first of all, if you don't know, uh, we've been in partnership, Pastor Bob and I, for five, six, six, some years now, saying, what would it look like to put a church in downtown Bozeman? And, um, it's happening. It's finally happening. And so we're so excited. And this is Journey's Church Plan, a new expression of Journey in downtown Bozeman. And it's called Revival. And, uh, we finally, we finally found a location. Um, so that's exciting. And starting on September 18th, we're going to launch Sunday services at The Rialto Theater in downtown Bozeman, so we're real excited about that. Revival at the Rialto. Sound good? Okay, very good. Hey, we called it, oh, we can clap for that. It's better if we all do it. Amen, yeah. We called it Revival, why? Well, we believe that's God's heart. From the beginning, God's heart is to see a people redeemed, revived into his story. And Habakkuk 2.14, one of our banner verses says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What better place for revival to break out than right on Main Street? We believe Jesus is going to take center stage at the Rialto. The Rialto uh, staff said to us, you're probably the healthiest thing we've ever had in here because we've got a lot of gigs come through. Um, but we're so excited. And uh, people have been praying for revival in this county for years, some 50, 60 years in our prayer Uh, is that in our day, we actually see it happen. Lives transforms, homes becoming beacons of light all around the valley, an audience of Christians turning into an army of Christians, rising up to be modern day missionaries in the spaces and places Jesus has put them. At the end of the day, we see revival as God's arrival in our life. Revival is simply God's arrival in our life, in our marriages, men that need to touch from God, in our kids' lives that need to touch from God. Maybe, in our homes we haven 't experienced revival in god 's fresh touch in a long time, and in our churches in this valley. What would revival look like man, years from now wouldn 't it be great to say uh, God was in that place, just as Jacob dreamed in the Old Testament? He woke up from his dream he says, "I, I know the Lord is in this place and Our vision and our hope is that years from now, people don't come to Bozeman just for the world-class blue ribbon fly fishing or Glacier National Park just two, three, four hours away or Yellowstone Park, but they come because God is moving there. God's moving there. I gotta get to Bozeman because God's moving there. Yes, we got two months of summer, it's beautiful, and then it's snow for eight months, 10 months, whatever, but God's still gonna move in the snow. I gotta get there. That's our hope. That's our vision. Our vision is revival. Our message is Jesus, and our mandate is love. And it has been the joy of a lifetime to get to see a church the size of Journey say, let's expand, let's go further. And so, what an honor it is to get to be the pastor for the downtown church, Revival Church. You'll see me often here, and you'll see Pastor Bob often down there. It's going to be an incredible partnership, we're real excited. Uh, without further ado, we wanna get into the text for today. Matthew 13, 44. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'm gonna give you a minute to turn there. Matthew 13, 44. Here's the interesting thing about what I think is maybe missing in American church and maybe in our Christianity you know, there's been a study that says 90% of Christians feel stuck. They're not experiencing the fullness of God, the fullness that Jesus promised, a life marked by joy. And I often think that the greatest hindrance to revival is our satisfaction to live without it. Like, how hungry are you today for your life to actually change? How hungry are you today to see a city awaken to the reality of Jesus? How hungry are you for in your own life to finally get rid of that addiction, finally get rid of that behavioral trait? Sometimes the greatest hindrance to revival in our day is our satisfaction to live without it. In fact, I saw a sign the other day, I was walking around, church billboards are funny, man. Holy cow. And I saw a sign the other day and it said "It said, it said this. It said, don't forget to include Jesus in your summer plans. And I was like, what? Come on, man. Don't forget to include Jesus in your summer plans. Jesus is the plan. His kingdom is the plan. Jesus isn't an add-on to the American dream. He is the dream. Jesus is a radical redirection of heart. We're going to look at a parable today where we see that. This Jesus deserves our everything as he gives us everything listen glacier national park's amazing great part of a summer plan yellowstone great part the lake great part of your summer plans but my my fear in my own life my fear in the life of the church especially in america is that we are adding jesus on to our regularly scheduled program and i just want all of us to know today that was never his plan for our life. It was never his plan to bring revival. Revival happens when we're unsatisfied without it happening. Revival happens. God's arrival in our story where, is where hunger happens. It's where prayer happens. In fact, I don't believe revival is a sovereign random act of God. I believe revival is God's sovereign response to our hunger. It's not God who tarries. It's not God's God who waits to pour out his spirit on a city. It's us. It's us who long to hunger for him. It's us who long to pray for him to come through, for him to arrive. And so let us not add Jesus into our summer plans. Let him be the plan. And as we open up Matthew 13, 44 today, I think you're going to see this. What does it look like to hunger? What does it look like to give Everything. What's it look like to say, all I have is yours. All that I am, all that I ever want to be, Jesus, it's yours. You are the plan. Matthew thirteen forty four says, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Let me read it again. This time a little slower. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Father, over the moments we share now, over your word, change us transform us in our chair. We didn't come today to get motivated. We came for a touch from you. Your spirit would pour into the places of our heart that are yet untouched, that we've yet given over to you. Spirit, we, we ask that you would bring freedom. We know that where you are, there is freedom. And so let us start to sense and feel the freedom of this one verse that's paramount to the Christian faith. And God, I pray now that the loudest voice everyone would hear in here today would be yours. Jesus, speak loudly to us. It's in your precious name we pray. And all God's kids said, amen. Have you ever noticed that in Hollywood, there's never been a story written about indifference? There's never been uh, a romantic comedy written about indifference, a guy kind of liked a girl. And never chased her. Didn't really think it was gonna happen, so he just kind of sat back. And... or in your novels, maybe you read some novels. Are novels still a thing? Romantic novels? I don't know. My grandma's got some on the shelf. I might need to pick some up. There, you, you, here's what you never see in there: indifference. A girl kind of like the guy, and she just sat back, hoped it was gonna happen. You never see it in songs either. Taylor Swift would have no content if she was indifferent. You've never heard a Taylor Swift song. Is is that is that is that a bad reference? Is that like way too long ago? I'm talking old Taylor Swift, country Taylor Swift, real Taylor Swift. Not pop. Yeah, we got some amens to that. The band is clapping, amen. Not pop Taylor Swift. We love you, Taylor, but I'm talking real country Taylor Swift. Remember, Drew looks at me. I fake a smile so he won't see. Remember that one? That one, no indifference. I know. Trying out for the team next week. No indifference in her heart. You know, I actually had a friend that went to high school with Taylor Swift, and uh, she took him to Starbucks. I don't know why. Uh, she probably had more money than him. And uh, she bought him a vanilla bean shake and, and a muffin. And I was like, Bro, why? Like, you're in the car with Taylor Swift? Express your love to her. He's like, No, Drew. Drew was the guy. Drew was a real guy in, high, in her high school. These songs are written about. This Drew guy, he was a high school football star. There's no indifference in her heart. She just wanted and longed for him. You know what I love about culture, stories, narratives? Is it points us to something. Indifference doesn't exist in the heart of God. Indifference never existed in the man, person, and savior of Jesus. The most passionate, overflowing person you'll ever meet is our King Jesus. Now, we all have a different version of passion. I know I'm a little bit loud and crazy, but y'all have, have passion inside of you, okay? You do, it just looks a little bit different. I'm 100, ask my wife, I'm either 100% or 0%. I'm either kale shakes or McKinsey River pizza every night. We all, we're, we're designed though to live a life not of indifference, but of passion, of drive, of all in. That's what I love about Journey, Pastor Bob and the lead team's vision. We're here, we exist to create all in followers of Jesus, not followers of Jesus who include Jesus in our summer plans, not nah, all in. And if you've met Bob Schwan, which all of you have, you know, he's all in. Our staff around here, all in. We talk every Monday morning about what does it look like to be all in? Who can we help go all in this week? There's no indifference in the heart of God in this gospel story, even In the grand narrative of Scripture, it was God who made the first move towards us. It's been said that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. It's not the sin of commission, it's the sin of omission. It's omitting things from your life. Many of you didn't come in here today like struggling with an addiction. Some of you did. Many of you didn't come in here today struggling with a a sin, but some of you have struggled with omitting from your life we're not pursuing the things of God, myself included. I'm so passionate about this text because here's what I see in this parable. I see Jesus telling a story to his disciples. He tells seven parables in a row. First four to a big audience, the last three, just to his disciples. He's trying to get something into his disciples' hearts because Jesus is gonna leave eventually and he needs them to know, hey, this isn't gonna be, this isn't gonna be a Sunday faith, y'all. This is gonna be every day. It's gonna be all you think about and it's gonna be it, and so he tells this incredible parable in Matthew thirteen forty four. He says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hides it again, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has to buy the field." We called this sermon "By the Field." It begs the question what in the world is so valuable in the kingdom? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a most valuable treasure. When a man or woman finds it, there's no indifference. And the loss of all things to obtain this treasure is a joyful transaction. I'll give it all, Lord. It's a joyful transaction. This kingdom of heaven must be of a measurable value because this man is not measuring what it's gonna take To get it, he just leverages all he has. This parable describes the great value of the kingdom of heaven as well as the extreme and urgent measures one must take to obtain it. It would seem that the loss of all things would actually be a joyful transaction to obtain it. So a quick definition, man, what is the kingdom of heaven? It's the same thing as the kingdom of God, scholars would say. You'll see throughout the scriptures kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, one in the same. This kingdom of heaven, you must first know that every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom has a king. It might go without saying, but some of us need to know that today. Every kingdom has a king, and this king is perfect. This king is kind. This king is loving. This king is generous. This king is forgiving. This king is good. His name is Jesus. Scriptures say he's the king of kings and Lord of lords. Throughout the scriptures, this is what that means. That in the end, all the rulers will be conquered. And he alone will reign supreme as king and Lord over all the earth. Every kingdom has a king. And in the kingdom of heaven, that king is Jesus. This man finds in the field the kingdom of heaven. He finds what he's longed for, relationship with the king. Here's the most beautiful thing about Christianity and why it's different than any faith-based system or religion in the world, that our king surrendered his crown to come to us. Religion is work your way to God. If I'm obedient, God loves me. The gospel is Jesus gloriously surrendered his crown and worked his way to us. We're obedient because of his love. This is a king who knows no bounds and will stop at nothing for your future and your, jo- and your joy. This is a king who is proud to be seen with you. No matter what you've done, where you've been, how last week went, how yesterday night went at Kenny Chesney, he's proud to be seen with you. A king who is loving, kind, and And over all things, this is our king. His name is Jesus and he's worth our entire life. And that's what this man found in the parable. He's worth our entire life. The second thing we know about the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of heaven is where the reign and rule of Jesus takes place. Reign and rule of Jesus takes place. Said another way that the reign and rule of Jesus is where the things of heaven become the things of earth. Said yet another way that the, the kingdom of God is the fulfillment on earth of God's will. Why is this so valuable, the reign and rule of Jesus in our hearts? Because you know, I know, we've tried other things, it didn't work. You know, I know, we've given our life to other kings, other fields, other treasures. It left us wanting. In fact, C.S. Lewis might say it best. He says this. He says this. It's probably gonna be on the screen. Let's just do it that way. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation... Is that we were made for another world. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, and the most probable explanation was we were made for a different kingdom, for a different king than the one we're currently following. This is where hunger comes in. Has the things you've hungered for left you wanting? Have the things you hunger for left you unsatisfied? And could it be that those that hunger for the kingdom of God is actually who God uses to usher in revival? See, the kingdom of heaven isn't a place or a location. Many people in Jesus's day thought Jesus was gonna come and institute his father's kingdom and overthrow Rome. He came to bring his reign and rule and it was gonna be inside of you wherever the heart would say, Lord, all I have is yours, your reign, your rule, your way. Let's get practical. I never wanna leave people in obscure language. What does the reign and rule of Jesus like really, really, really look like? At the end of the day, with the decision in front of you, it looks like you on your knees saying, Jesus, if you were to have your way, what would it look like? If you were to have your way, in my marriage, what would it look like? Your reign and rule is perfect. Your ways, the scriptures say, are above mine. Your thoughts are above mine. I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s. You're eternal. Lord, have your way. That's the kingdom of heaven. Advancing in a heart that then advances into culture that then, guess what? The kingdom of heaven is known by this, righteousness, peace, peace and joy. For those that say there's a king, his name is Jesus. For those that say his reign and rule is best, Jesus starts to use them to bring his kingdom to the places and spaces that are dark. His reign and rule, Jesus that is, starts to eliminate the demonic forces at play in our city. It starts to destroy the lies as we sing often here, one of the four or six United songs. It starts to turn hearts towards... Their ultimate calling to know God, to make him known, to advance his kingdom of light and hope here in the city. For the heart that says, Jesus, you're king. For the heart that says, your reign and rule, that's where God's kingdom is advancing. A lady came up to me a couple years back and she said, my marriage is, um, Alex, one, one signature away from a divorce. She says, I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. She was telling me this story in past tense, and uh, she said, so I got on my knees and I just said, Lord, if you were to have your way in this marriage, even all the baggage that's been, what would it look like? She said, I never signed that divorce paper. My husband and I are now happily married, Something changed in us. Revival happened. We just decided reign and rule is more important than our reign and rule. We decided this king was way more important than our kingdom. And although it was hard, it wasn't perfect, God started to rework the pieces of our life. Revival is Jesus resurrecting every part of our story, including our marriages. What does the kingdom of heaven look like practically? It looks like some of my really good friends, Ethan, Aurora, and Nathan, who just left for YWAM, I got to know them this summer and something about Gen Z, I just believe they're gonna bring the Great Commission home. I don't know if you've met any Gen Zers, but they're amazing. And and they are so sold out for Jesus and and it hits me because, man, they're preaching a message to me. The kingdom isn't a talk of words, but of power, the Bible says. And these three who are 18, 19, 20, I think they're so young, I don't know. I don't even know how to relate to 18, 19, 20-year-olds anymore. But we hung out, and they just start telling me, man, Jesus is worth everything. Why chase anything else? And, and there's something about being young that I think we're at an, they're at an advantage. Because if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, there's a lot of life that's happened. You might have a mortgage. You might have three mortgages. You might have some stuff you might have a lot of opportunities already. And the attraction of the world might have started to sink into your heart. It's going to take courage and it's going to cost more to say, kingdom of heaven, man, all I got ain't a comparison to that. It'll take more for that person It will. For the person that's later on in their years in life. But oh, there is never a time that's too late to say, Jesus, your way, your will, your reign, your rule. And these three friends of mine, Ethan, Aurora, and, and Nathan, they just left for YWAM, which is this incredible discipleship training school in Kona, not a bad place, Kona, Hawaii, not a bad place to go to discipleship training. That's where I would go if I wanted to follow Jesus. And, uh, and they're there and they're completely sold out for the gospel completely sold out. They've seen the treasure. They've tasted a little bit of the world and they said, you're better, way better. In fact, we were texting back and forth and one of them said, man, as soon as you taste the treasure, why would you chase any other field? Why would you look at any other thing? And I said, I know. I know. Finally, the kingdom of heaven is everlasting. Ooh, I love this one. Kingdom of heaven is everlasting. Psalm 145 says this, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy and all he promises and faithful, he does. We're either currently sowing into a present economy or we're we're sowing into a future economy. And one of the greatest practical things i Try and help people do as a pastor is just zoom out a little. I know the moment you're in is tough. I know finances could be looming. I know that the kid that ran away and is astray—it's extremely tough. I know the diagnosis you got—it's tough. Been there. Zoom out just a touch, maybe to ten thousand feet, and then to twenty and thirty thousand feet. There's a kingdom that's everlasting. The already, but the not yet. Where sin is no more. Where cancer is no more. Where divorce is no more. Where darkness isn't at play. There's a kingdom that's everlasting. And as you zoom out, it'll help you start to make sense of your story. See, what do you do to Paul, the man that has seen it all in the New Testament? What do you do to this man that's followed Jesus all of his life and has understood what kingdom of heaven is. It's following Jesus as king. It's knowing that his reign and rule is best, no matter the circumstance I found myself in. And Paul often talked about, man, don't let these present troubles in light of eternity make you think that God isn't still good. Like, what do you do to that guy? The authorities tried to throw him in prison. He just converted the palace guards with songs of praise, All right? He had like Ashton and Brandon in there with them in the, in the jail cell. He's just like, we're singing songs of praise. He starts converting the palace guards. Then they say to him, okay, um, we're going to let you live. He said, cool, to live is Christ. Let me live. He said, okay, we'll kill you. He says, perfect, to die is gain. What do you do to that guy? You can't touch that life, man. The enemy cannot touch the life that is fully committed to him, fully committed to the Lord, fully committed to the kingdom of heaven. The enemy can throw things at you all your life. And as you zoom out and say, that's okay, my kingdom, my God, his kingdom is everlasting. In the end, he wins. And when that helps us to start to make sense of what we do with down here. If this king has a kingdom, if his reign and rule are supreme, And if his kingdom is everlasting, that helps us make sense of what we do down here. See, the man in the parable, he sees the kingdom of heaven and then he hides it. And he goes back and gathers everything apparently and says, I'm gonna sell it all. I'm gonna buy that field. I wanna advance that cause. That's a king worth following. Nothing else matters. It's the old song, Turn My Eyes Towards Jesus, by Helen Howarth Lemel. It says, as I turn my eyes to Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of this earth grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. You know, an interesting thing about her is she was blind. She wrote that song, Blind. So why would she say, turn your eyes to Jesus? She, she saw Jesus and she had given her whole heart over to Jesus. And she says, man, I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And no matter what happens down here, earth is going to start to grow strangely dim in light of this kingdom of heaven, his glory and grace. It helps us make sense of down here when we subscribe to up there, it helps us to start pouring into, investing into with our time, our resources, our gifting, our opportunities. It helps us to make sense of those and make the decision I'm going to actually invest into a future economy. When we were planting Captivate Church in San Diego, there was this incredible moment that happened. We're a year and a half in, and we had an opportunity to purchase a church and keep it a church because so it was closing. And I don't know if you know California real estate prices. They're not much better than here. That was pretty astronomical for a church plant. At the time, we had to raise a million dollars in 60 days. And, <laughs> and we said, no way. How, Lord? And a gentleman came to us. That was the lead gift in the million dollars. And he said, I own a strip club. I'm like, what? okay cool, man. He said, but let, let, me, let me tell you, let me tell you how we own it. A group of um, some Christian business investors in San Diego, we all got together and said, how we leverage our resources to advance God's kingdom here in San Diego? And so they said, well, we got some money. Let's buy that strip club. Wouldn't it be so nice to have so much money? You can just start buying strip clubs for the purpose to shut it down. He shut the strip club down. They got the women into a better life. They got them jobs. They got them counseling, hope, healing. They got them a Bible. And he said, I want to give you, this gentleman, our share to the strip club. So when it sells, it'll be the lead gift in this purchasing of a church. And then it sold, and a quarter of a million dollars later, the sale of a strip club went to the purchasing of a church on the same street. That's God. That's That's also some people that say, I want to invest into a future economy. I want to invest into the kingdom advancing in the Gallatin Valley. Can you imagine the resources in this valley? If we saw Jesus for who he was, if we said, your reign and rule, if we knew that his kingdom was everlasting, and then we said, like this man in the parable, parable, I'm going to leverage everything for that. Because that's going to last. That's going to last. And this would be, an okay sermon. Man, if we stop there, maybe I'll let you be the judge of that. You might have some motivation until Monday. But then Tuesday would come. And here's what I've learned about scripture. Oftentimes, we'll give imperatives or we'll give instruction without the indicative. That's just, again, a a theological way to say, hey, Jesus did something on your behalf before he ever asked you to do something. This man bought the field. This man sold everything to buy the field, but he understood something about this treasure. This Jesus, as all scripture points to him, this parable is a neon sign that gives us a little bit bigger picture of what's actually going on. Jesus had a field to buy as well. As God looks down, man, over earth, and he sees his treasures, hidden in the field of sin and the muck and mire that has stained the earth, he does something. He makes the ultimate sacrifice. He said, I'm gonna purchase that field with my blood. Those are my kids. And for the joy set before him, it says, he endured the cross. Jesus bought the field. Jesus bought your freedom. Jesus bought the current forgiveness that is available today and that many of us are already walking in. Jesus bought your future. It's been said that the, the value of something is determined by the price someone is willing to pay. And the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate price, Jesus looks at this treasure and he goes and pays the price to obtain it, to obtain us, to give us a hope and a future, to give us a kingdom to be a part of, to advance here on earth. And I don't know about you, but if you have kids, it's hard to imagine giving up your kid. It's impossible to imagine giving up your kid for someone that would never love them. It's one thing to say, I'll take a bullet for my friend, my family, even my kids. But it's another thing to say, I'm going to give up my kid for that person that would never love him. Never respond to the gospel. Jesus says, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to buy the field. I'm going to purchase them back. This is why, this is why, I'm gonna close with this. This is why the man in the parable, as Jesus is telling his disciples, he said the kingdom of heaven is it's like a treasure of glorious nature, of ultimate sacrifice, where there's a king and his reign and rule is perfect. And it's a treasure that's everlasting where moth and rust and thieves can never steal, break in, and destroy. This treasure is Yours, if you'd have it. And so I have one question this morning. As you see this man in the parable go back and leverage everything he has to buy the field, my one question is why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you buy the field? Why don't you leverage everything for this kingdom? and I even hesitate to say by the field because here's what it really means. It's what Paul talks about. I want to take hold of what has taken hold of me. Jesus purchased my freedom. I'm going to take hold of what has taken hold of me. So why don't you? Why don't you? We could sit here a year from now and And you could be entirely different. Shoot, in a week, you could be entirely different. Change happens when our hunger is redirected to the things of life that actually matter. Change happens in our life when our hunger is redirected to the kingdom of God. Revival starts to happen in our life, not because God isn't willing, but because he wants us to be willing and surrender. Jesus is a gentleman. He's kind, he's good. And I think the question before us is, why don't you by the field, take hold of what's taken hold of you. Father, I pray now that as you walk these aisles, you would start to illuminate the areas of our life where we've just included you in our plans, where we've just added you to our regularly scheduled program. It could be finances, it could be Decision making could be our calling, could be the next promotion, could be our relationships. And I pray that as we stare at the beauty of the gospel, this good news of you having zero indifference in your heart and moving towards earth to buy the field on our behalf, the treasure that was hidden in sin, pay the ultimate price for the forgiveness of sins and our resurrection. I pray as we see that and stare at that, it would start to change us. And as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we, we stare at the gospel and we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We're transformed as we stare at this king who's perfect, who's kind, who's loving, who's faithful. I also pray that We just asked you this morning, what what would you have me do with what's in my hand, Lord? I have resources that I've been sitting on. I have an opportunity before me and I don't wanna make it about me. I, I wanna make it all about you. So Lord, help me. Help me come to find what... Men and women of faith of old have found that you're just that good to leverage all of life, all that I have, all that I am, and all that I'll ever be for kingdom advancing, hope and healing advancing, restoration, redemption advancing, the salvation of our city advancing. And ultimately, God, I pray you'd pour your spirit out on us today as we surrender and say, man, have your way. Let it be so. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my family, as it is in heaven, in my marriage, as it is in heaven, at my workplace, as it is in heaven, in the city, on Main Street, at Baxter and Love, as it is in heaven. And let us see the results of this quickly, Lord, we pray. The results of the kingdom, where righteousness, peace, and joy reign, where a city that desperately needs to see it, would you show yourself on our surrender? We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.